surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host, and I'm here at WeWork in Santa Monica, continuing the Bachelor theme, and I'm here with a special guest. I'm getting his undivided attention today, which apparently is a <laughs> is a special thing. So thank you, Dean, for <laughs> giving the time to the pod today. Hey, thanks for having me. How many people have you called a special guest so far today? <laughs> Uh, a few, a few, <laughs> but you're all special. Everyone's special. You're special too. You're all special in our own ways, you know? True. Sorry, I won't cling the chair around anymore. It's okay. We're getting, we're getting comfortable. Um, how, how are you feeling today? I'm a little sick. Um, just taking it easy. We just got back from the gym, so I'm sorry if I'm in my gym attire and sweaty, but... It's okay. <laughs> this is why this is audio only. You can look however you want to look. Didn't want to keep you waiting too long, so... Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things that I would love to like get in with and, and talk with you about. I mean, from being on Rachel's season of The Bachelorette and from being on Paradise, we've learned a little bit about like your background and your family life. Um, your mom passed away from cancer and, um, you know, have an unusual, unusual family dynamic, um, some, you know, conflict there with your father and just like overall relationship difficulties romantically. I have a lot of difficulties. <laughs> we, we all have difficulties, but yours are just, That's a um, bit of an understatement. very publicly. <laughs> um, but you touched on something like right before we started recording and that was saying that you have difficulty expressing empathy and that, is something I think we should totally let's dive into talk it. I'm about. perfectly, I'm <laughs> definitely down. It's funny because we had a uh, relationship therapist on my podcast like maybe two or three months ago, maybe longer than like four or five months ago. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she like leaned into me and she's like, Dean, what's your biggest fault in relationships? And she was like, fully expecting me to say something along the lines of, oh, like I don't. Like something like very trivial, right? Mm-hmm. Like something super like unimportant. Yeah. Like, oh, sometimes I don't put the toilet seat down. But I leaned into her and I was like, oh, like I think I struggle with empathy. And she like looked at me and she was like, okay, but like what else do you struggle with? <laughs> wait, and wait, so, wait. Right. And so like we didn't really get to expand on it much, but it's something that I've been like pretty well aware of for some time. I think even since I was probably like preteen. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think like like we just briefly discussed before jumping on the podcast is I think that uh, it definitely kind of inhibits my ability to fully dive into a very successful romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. I like I want to work on it, and I've tried to take the steps necessary to continue to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just is a lot harder to work on something like that than you think. You know? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think one of the hardest parts about expressing empathy and pra- practicing it, feeling it, um, is the vulnerability of it. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? In what in what aspect? Like to be empathetic, uh-huh. to express empathy towards someone else you are putting yourself in a position where you have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. In order to relate to what someone else is feeling, you have to be vulnerable and reach that place within yourself. Mm -hmm. It it requires you to be somewhat subjective and to dig deep into a feeling that you can relate to. Right. And I think that's what I struggle with a lot too is it's difficult for me to put myself in someone else's shoes, no matter who it is, Mm -hmm. whether it's someone going through a loss similar to what I had as a child, whether it's someone going through something completely different, um, that's kind of like just like asking for, you know, some like a shoulder to lean on, a shoulder to cry on, whatever it is. I'll always be there for them and I'll always like do what I can in order to comfort them. But in those moments, I'm always kind of like awkward and like I don't really know exactly what to say Mm -hmm. or like how to appeal to their, uh, you know, their, their whatever, their pathos, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It's just is it's a it's been a common theme in my life. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, like when someone's experiencing something difficult mm-hmm. and they're expressing like a very vulnerable emotion, like maybe they're crying or mm-hmm. they're expressing this sense of hurt, 
it, I'm, I'm picking up that it makes you a little uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. But again, mm-hmm. like it, it makes me uncomfortable to do those things myself. And even when I look back, excuse me, back to, at my life, um, I have always been a very like logical person. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, there you could skew either way, logical or emotional. And I think mm-hmm. that I skew probably too far to the logical side of things, mm-hmm. which is not good. You know, obviously, you want to be somewhere in the middle. It's probably a happy medium. Yeah. Um, I remember once when I was. Uh, 10, one of the, uh, I guess, one of the most drastic moments of my life or one of like the most significant moment, moments of my life that I consider to be super influential, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 10 years old. We were riding bicycles, me and my best friend, and just he was like 10 feet in front of me. His bicycle fell over and he got ran over by a truck and his, he, like, his head like exploded outward. And I remember like sitting behind him and I saw it happen. And like I pulled my bike over and I sat on the grass and I was like, I should probably be crying right now. Like, I should probably be really upset about this. And so like, I started crying, cried for like 30 seconds. And I was like, well, why am I crying? Like, I can't really do anything to change this or fix this. So like, I should probably just stop. And then like, everyone was like rushing over like, oh my God, Dean, like, are you okay after seeing that? And I was like, well, yeah, but I guess I should act more upset. So I'm going to start crying again. And so mm-hmm. always, that's always been like a common theme in my life where it's always like, I, I don't know. I just feel like logic and reason prevails, honestly, a lot of times for worse then like, I don't really let my emotions get the mm-hmm. best of me. And there are moments where I get emotional. Like obviously as my mom passed away, I, I allow myself to succumb to my emotions. Um, mm-hmm. my, friend, my best friend in college passed away. I allowed myself to be a little bit more emotional then. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a, it's a very rare occurrence for me, you know? It sounds like it's when you feel like you should be emotional that you allow yourself space to feel those emotions. Yeah. But again, it's I, I hate like having the outward influence of being like, okay, like when I was, you know, like when I was ten, I was like, okay, like these people think I should be crying, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna cry. Yeah, you know? that there's like you feel like there's this pressure that in this situation, this is what should be happening. Right. This, is, this is what what my reaction should be, but you don't actually feel that. Right. Well, and so that's what I'm saying. That's why I think I struggle so much with empathy is because I struggle so much to even be emotional within myself, mm-hmm. and then so then to, I guess. Uh, feel that for someone else is mm-hmm. obviously an added challenge, an added filter that makes it even more challenging for me, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, because, I mean, you you watched this friend when you were 10. Mm-hmm. This person, I'm assuming, did not survive. No, 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 no. He was killed on impact. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there, there's layers to that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some shock there at first, I'm imagining. And, so, you know, it, it's hard to even say how someone should feel True. because... It's all subjective, and everyone's going to experience things very differently. And there's like layers of, of trauma, even that cause us to react in ways that wouldn't necessarily be predictable. Mm-hmm. So I, I can totally see where, where for you, you know, you you have this experience, and then you're kind of like, whoa, I think I should be feeling this. So like, let me <laughs> let me find that piece so right. that I seem like a normal person, you know, and so that people aren't like putting the attention on me and so that I'm not even feeling even more uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's like a, a, it's a big issue. That's, a, that's a hard place to be because how you do connect with people is through vulnerability right. and is through, you know, being able to connect emotionally frequently. Absolutely. And I, I don't ever really have an issue with sharing my experiences but it's the uncomfortable things and it's the uncomfortable things. Sure. And a lot of times it's, uh, a lot of people maybe don't fully grasp the, it's, I think that people struggle to empathize with me as well. And so it Mm kind of goes both ways. Yeah. And so when people struggle to fully understand the scope of everything that Mm -hmm. I feel like I had to go through, which again, I don't necessarily think it was bad, whatever, like there's much worse things out there. But, but still, it's, it's your almost, experience was also a difficult experience. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when people struggle to, or I guess fail to uh, empathize with my story, kind of like it even shuts me off even more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, and that's that's like the, the hard part of actually like connecting with people because it's like someone has to make a, a first move mm-hmm. in a way um, to express empathy and then to also receive empathy. Um, and I think... I can see where, especially with some of your life experiences that are really that 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 source from a lot of pain mm. and a lot of loss, that 
there's maybe like a, I mean, what I'm imagining and tell me if I'm wrong, um, like a sense of almost like resentment from people when they don't empathize with that or when they fail to that, then it's like, well, why would I give you my empathy then if you can't even, I don't think it's like a tit for tat sort of thing. Like since you're not giving it to me, I won't give it to you. It's just a matter of, I don't think that we'll ever really fully understand each other. And maybe like, I'm still processing the stories too. Like beyond all those things, there's still many things that obviously happened to all of us as children. Mm -hmm. Um, that I, I just think it's so uncommon to the point where no one can really like sit down and be like, okay, wow. Like I see it. I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. And so that because of that, because I've never really like had someone or anyone in my life that like sits down and like tries to fully understand everything that I've, I've experienced. I think that just kind of like shuts me off later, like having gone through life up to this point without really having someone that's like, okay, like let me digest this with you. Let me, you know, walk a mile in your shoes when you were 16, 17, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've just always been kind of grown accustomed to just like walking through, you're going through the motions, like sharing the story, moving on, asking a question about you to get the topic off of me and like deflecting mm-hmm. a little bit, like that kind of thing. You are very, very good at deflecting. Oh, so good. At I it. will say that. <laughs> it's a trained skill that I've been practicing for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're very, very good at it. Um, and on, at the same time too, it's beneficial because people love talking about themselves, myself discluded, and I'm sure you mm-hmm. to some extent as well. But generally speaking, I think on average people love talking about themselves. So if someone's curious to know about you, you answer the question and then you turn it back around on them and they can talk for 30 minutes. They'll ask you a question, you talk for two minutes, you turn around back around on them and mm-hmm. then they go walk away from that conversation thinking like, oh wow, that was a great conversation when really they were just talking about themselves the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you can tell um, the interest someone has in your story by how much they allow themselves to talk about themselves without bringing it back and be like, oh, look, that's interesting. Let's open mm-hmm. up that a little bit more, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever experiment with continuing to talk about your story and not deflecting it back onto them? Well, I never like bring it up out of the blue, but I'll like I'll like share tidbits of things that I've experienced in my life if it comes up naturally in conversation. But I won't like be sitting on the couch and be like, "Hey, by the way, like this happened to me when I was, you know, whatever age." Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. any, I don't think many people really do that, but No, but I think there's like a a way to go about being like, "Yeah, like I really I don't, I don't know if you know this, and like I, I want to share it with you, and I would like never maybe do that. process it. Never in a million years, I would never do that. <laughs> I don't know if you know this about me, but because I, I, there are yeah. a lot of things that people don't know about me. It, well, my mm-hmm. close friends, like maybe they have an idea, but especially publicly, like mm-hmm. no, no, it's like not even scratch the surface. Mostly because no one's ever asked the questions. Like even when I talked about the passing of my mother on Rachel season. Like that's just one dimension of mm-hmm. all of the things that I consider significant in shaping me to be the person I am today. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that got brought up was because they were like asking me about it, that kind yeah. of thing. Like it never would have gotten brought up had they not asked about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Is there anyone in your life that, I mean, earlier you were basically saying that no one has like sat down and like gone through these things with you and, and maybe allowed a safe space for you to kind of like process some of these things that have happened in your life. But mm. I'm just curious, like, if if there is someone that you feel has kind of been... No, not really. But mostly because, like, I have great friends that would always be willing to, like, sit down and hear me out. But until they, like... Like, no one would ever be like, all right, do you like, let's talk about everything, you know? Like, it's just as a matter of... I don't have the interest necessarily in sharing it because it just seems kind of unnecessary at times, you know? I have, like, a, I have my therapist. I haven't mm-hmm. seen her in a couple of weeks, but... Um, obviously we talk pretty candidly about everything that's happened to me and even her, like she's still, I've been seeing her for what, like three or four months and Mm -hmm. she still has a lot to learn about me, but. Now, did you ever go to therapy before the show? I went once after my friend Hunter died when I was 10. Mm -hmm. I went once after my mom died when I was 15. Like for just one session each time? It just like, it didn't really, I don't think you can get anything out of therapy without going on your own free will. So after my friend Hunter died, my mom was like, all right, you're going to therapy, like, you know, obviously this is a traumatic experience. We want the best for you. We want you to be like mentally healthy and happy and all that kind of stuff. So we're mm-hmm. going to try it out. Tried it, didn't like it. Um, after my mom died, my dad was like, okay, like obviously you're super upset. Like let's go see therapy um, and like see if it helps you. And I was like, no, like this sucks. I hate therapy so much. Mm-hmm. But then like obviously six months ago or so after Leslie and I broke up, I was like, well, I got some issues. Let's go talk about these with someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And therapy's fine. I don't, I don't, I'm definitely getting more out of it now than before, but mm-hmm. I think uh, one thing that I don't necessarily like about it that I've experienced is my therapist tends to agree with me too much. (laughs) 
You need someone that's going to challenge 100%. you. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll like say something. I'll be like, this happened and this is how I reacted and this is the aftermath of that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I see that. That makes sense. It's a very logical reaction that you had. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, no, like tell me something else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You, you definitely need someone that's going to challenge you a lot. And I think one thing that your therapist is probably doing is attempting to validate your experiences and... Um, provide you with some support because it sounds like while you do have some support in your life, you don't necessarily reach out for it right. when you need it. Right. I don't, yeah. Or when you want it. I don't think I ever You kind really of wait for people it. to like ask the questions. Because I almost think that like sharing my story is a burden on someone else too, unless they're like genuinely interested in hearing it. So I just had a conversation about this recently about... Okay. Um, sharing parts of your story with other people and feeling like it's going to be a burden on them. Mm -hmm. So I disagree with that. I don't ever feel like sharing your story with someone else is putting a burden on them. One reason, because oftentimes you will find that that person can relate in some shape or form Mm -hmm. to whatever it is that you're telling them. That's part A. Okay. Part B is that that then allows them to either process their experience more or to find that place in themselves where they can empathize with your experience. Right. So benefiting them, benefiting you. Okay. Third, once that happens, then you guys are both connecting. More so than before, sure. Yeah, and so by you actually sharing your story with someone else, it's not necessarily a burden on them, but that it's a point to allow you guys to both actually connect. Okay, in addition to being a burden, though, I also hate how sharing something, a story that has affected your life negatively, almost is then you seeking sympathy from them for for future things. You know? Like, oh, because this happened to Dean, I'm going to be nicer to him or I'm going to do this because of this experience that he had. And I don't want that. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want anyone to be like, oh, I feel bad for Dean. I I never Mm -hmm. want anyone to feel bad for me. So there's fear in sharing your story in the first place because you don't want sympathy. Right. What you do want is empathy because empathy is connecting. Sympathy is disconnecting. Sure. So do you know what I mean by that? Well, I know empathy is, yes, I understand the difference between empathy and sympathy, but I'm just trying mm-hmm. to process it right now, I guess, on the spot. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I just, I... Do you get what I mean, though, like with, with how, how it can be seen as not a burden? Mm-hmm. Like the, the reframing oh, I fully of that. Agree. And, I fully agree with that part of it. Yeah. Um, but a, a, another point that I don't like sharing is just because I don't want people to be like, oh, mm-hmm. like I feel bad for you. Yeah. I don't like, feeling, I don't like being felt bad for. Yeah. No one likes that. Right. And especially, I mean, A, as like a masculinity thing, I think that plays a part. I don't even and, know if it's a masculinity thing. It's just a I think it's like an ego thing. Sure, I guess. And, like, I have been afforded so many advantages in life just being Mm -hmm. a tall white male, Mm -hmm. as as shitty as it is to say. Yeah, no, I'm very happy that you have (laughs) acknowledged that because... And so for me to, like, sit here Mm -hmm. and complain about my life is just bullshit, I think. To me, be like, oh, like, I deserve this because this happened to me. No, it's like Mm -hmm. I I literally have an advantage over 90, you know, what percent of the world because of my skin tone and because of the Y chromosome that's in my DNA Mm -hmm. and because I'm over six feet tall. And also being cisgender and straight and all those other things. But but A, I think that's wonderful to acknowledge that and to have an understanding of that. But also then you are belittling what your experiences are and you are invalidating yourself. Hmm. Do you see that? I understand the invalidation of it. I also, it's just like, I think... And that's also why your therapist is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why? Because she's trying to, like, validate your experience. Okay. And, and not... And I think it's, it's like you are then, essentially, before you're even sharing a story with someone else, you're already, like, invalidating yourself and basically telling yourself to, like, suck it up because mm, it could be worse. Absolutely true. Well, and because I feel bad complaining about stuff... Mm-hmm. Because I shouldn't, I don't have any place to be complaining. But I don't think you're, I don't think, I don't think that even in you sharing your story with someone that A, that it's you complaining or B, that it's you becoming a burden because the shit that you've experienced is like real life shit, Dean. You're not like, oh my God, I hate that I had to do the dishes today. Like maybe sometimes you are, but for the most part, when you're actually getting vulnerable and sharing that with someone else, no one 
no one is going to see that as, oh my God, Dean's complaining that he watched one of his close friends die in front of him. That's fair, I guess. I, I always just kind right? of, to, to relate it to an extreme example of obviously like that's severe, this is un- not severe. It's like mm-hmm. when someone hasn't eaten seven hours and like, oh my God, I'm starving. It's like, no, you're not starving. You just haven't eaten in seven hours. There are people across the world that are actually starving that haven't yes. eaten two weeks. Yeah. Like that's just what I'm saying. It's like, I don't know. It's just a mm-hmm. difference of comparisons. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum for sure. I just think, especially like, us as Americans, like we're super entitled. And I feel like for us to complain about anything is just such a silly concept to me. Yeah, but I don't think that... Um, I think that when you are nourishing and developing your relationships and deepening them, you're not doing it through complaining. You're doing it through sharing your story. Mm. And regardless of if that story has some privilege in it, it still is your story. And there will be parts of it that other that people will connect with. And I think you you start to again your highly skilled deflection occurs even through this like <laughs> acknowledgement of the privilege. Pretty good at deflecting. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> layers. <laughs> I know. There's, there's some layers to the deflecting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm working on it. You are. You it's, are. It's you're you're working on it on it now as we talk through this. It definitely comes and goes in waves. Where moments where I'm like, oh, like I definitely need to fix this, and then like, a, I know a wave comes. I'm like, all right, no, it's fine. I don't need to fix that. Like that's just who I am. Blah blah blah. And then a wave comes back, and I'm like, oh no, I need to fix this. Like let let me work on this. And it's mm-hmm. just. It's hard to uh, to pinpoint like the mental, uh, I guess, shortcomings or the the things that we need to work on mentally to identify them and then to take action in improving them mm-hmm. is a very challenging um, task. Mm-hmm. It is, and I think it's important to remember that like none of that happens overnight, and that you can make mistakes throughout that process, and right. it doesn't necessarily take away from any progress that you're making. Um, Which is challenging for me too, because I'm very short-sighted. I'm very, I'm impatient to the point where I'm like, okay, I have my sight set on something, and I want to accomplish it, and I want to accomplish it as quickly as possible. And like mm-hmm. you said, mental things don't get accomplished overnight. And so it's mm-hmm. like if things don't happen quickly, when I'm definitely like trying and putting forth the effort, then I almost kind of like lose sight of mm-hmm. the things that I was trying to improve upon. And then you don't really have like motivation. I imagine, or lose motivation. Lose motivation, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you don't necessarily see the change happening as quickly as you had hoped to see it. Mm-hmm. And you can yeah. see it in all things. Like if you're taking a class or learning a new skill and you don't see yourself improving as quickly as you want, and then it's kind of yeah. frustrating sometimes. What's like an example for you? Something you're working... I mean, aside from some of the stuff we've touched on, but like is there anything... I, in- yeah, I'm, I'm working on getting my uh, private pilot's license to fly single-engine aircrafts. And I was like, okay. I'm going to get this in three months. And I'm like four months into it. I'm like, fuck, I'm still like four months away from getting this license. <laughs> so it's going to take me like three times as long to get it as I had originally hoped. And I'm like, well, this is making me lose motivation to mm-hmm. really finish it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that make you like tell you about yourself? I think that I had, I, maybe I think I am more skilled across the board than I really am. Mm-hmm. I think I, I get excited easily about certain things. Yeah. Um, and then... I think that excitement kind of wavers as time moves on. And because mm-hmm. of that wavering excitement, I like obviously dedicate less time to it. I get less focused on it. Mm-hmm. And then it just is like a snowball effect and things become to, I guess, move into like a screeching halt. Would you say that that carries over not only in... I, know, I knew you were going to bring it up. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Oh, do you think that applies to your relationships as well? Well, yeah, Taylor, I'm sure it does. <laughs> like, as you're saying, I'm like, yeah, you are very easily excited. And then these things do have it. Okay, yeah. Uh, and you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It does definitely apply to my relationships. I get, I, I don't know. I can fall in love very quickly mm-hmm. because I want to. And, like, I, I definitely, you know. Falling in love is exciting. Super exciting. Gives you all the endorphins. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, but... It's funny because then you fall in love and you have this relationship and then things, you know, like if you go from zero to love over the course of three weeks, then mm-hmm. the, from the third week to the ninth week, not much is going to change. Yeah. And so it's like that becomes less exciting. Mm-hmm. And even my therapist, um, before I left on my trip uh, around the world, she was like, you have an addiction to novelty. Mm-hmm. And I think what that applies to is like you obviously like love experiencing new things. And I think that also applies to relationships. Like there's the novelty of a new relationship. It's exciting. Yeah. It's fun. You're learning about each other. And then as things start to like level off, where most people are like, okay, like now I'm in a successful, happy relationship. Mm-hmm. I feel content. I have safety. Right. There's security. And then I'm like, this is the same thing that was going on yesterday. Like this mm-hmm. is kind of you know, getting stale in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So I don't know. Like I'm all, I'm all messed up in the head. I know I've got a lot to work on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what have you? I'm curious if you've like experimented or done research or talked to people or have any knowledge over like the different forms of relationships, like like a polyamory or uh, like. I would never ask anyone to be in a polyamorous relationship. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd be capable of being in one of those. I don't know. That's that's why I'm asking because it sounds like part of what you struggle with in relationships is maybe wanting to continue to meet new people or reliving that like new experience of getting to know someone that 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 there's a high there and that when you're in a monogamous relationship that um, that it becomes stale mm-hmm. and so maybe if I don't know I don't know if you've well so. Are you familiar with like the types of relationships? It's like secure, anxious, uh, mm-hmm. whatever. I can't remember all of them. Yes. Um, what was I? I was. What was the one? It wasn't secure. It wasn't anxious. How was the other one? Uh, it's gonna bother me. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, but they're not all coming to my head. Avoidative, avoid, avoidative, avoid. avoidant. That's what it is. I'm avoidant personal uh, relationship, and I think that kind of relationship style. It's inherently is like an up and down mm-hmm. sort of, of relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from how much I understand from the things that I've read or the things that I've heard is obviously most successful relationships like for, by an extreme margin is two secure people being in a relationship. It's never an avoidant and an anxious person in a relationship. I mean, I'm, cer- I'm sure obviously there are certain cases of it being that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like I look back on my past relationships, like the public ones, I think Leslie was secure, Christina was anxious, but I, since I was avoidant in both of those relationships, mm-hmm. they tended to be less successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting to kind of like learn that stuff and be like, oh yeah, like that's actually, that kind of defines me in my relationships mm-hmm. pretty accurately sometimes. How does that play over in like your friendships? What do you mean? Like how do you see those dynamics play out in... I think I'm a, like, I mean, I'm a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like in what regard? I don't understand. Like, like, do you the the struggles with like wanting the novelty? Uh-huh. Does that also follow through in friendships and non non romantic relationships? Well, uh, like in terms of do I see do I like to go out and meet new people in like a platonic way, like friendships types of way? Not really, because like I'm, I'm kind of I don't know. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a big mess because, like, I'm a recluse. Like, I'm very introverted, mm-hmm. but I'm an outgoing and I can have conversations and all that kind extroverted. of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I think, like, if it were up to me, if I was, if it was Friday night, I was living at home by myself, whatever. Like, like it was my decision. I'd probably stay home more often than I would go mm-hmm. out. Um, so I don't really, I don't think that that necessarily affects my friendships. Friendships, why wow, friendships? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious how. I mean. I also, I I see what you're saying in in the struggle of like wanting that novelty and seeing where perhaps the relationship types aren't in alignment with each other in your romantic relationships. But I guess I was just curious if if it also impacted like the familial or the platonic relationships. And it it sounds like you have a good like network of people, like a good group of friends, like Mm. good social support that know you on some level. And you know that if you you really needed them, they would be there for me, but I would never like, you would never put yourself in that position. Right. Why? Because of the burden burden thing, because you don't want them to pity, pity you. Right. It's a feeling of like, I guess inability is, is kind of a fear of like, you know, you don't want to be, incapable of fixing something yourself. And what does that mean to you if you cannot fix something yourself? Well, that means that you're a failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one wants to be a failure. Do you think you're a failure? Um, no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think if it was more specific, like it's hard to, it's hard to assign failure just generally mm-hmm. to my life. Yeah. Well, then I would hope that would be a no. no. I'm like happy. I mean, I've definitely gone through fits of depression and anxiety and all this kind of stuff, especially post uh, the show. show. Of course, mm-hmm. I think I would say majority, if not all of us, struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, some some better than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
there's like a little bit of, I think like if you, if you weren't able to pinpoint it and like recognize fault or issue, then that would kind of be like derivative of like narcissism, you know? Mm-hmm. But like the fact that I think so many people are like willing to be like, okay, like this is my issue, this is my problem. I'm going to either seek help professionally or through my friends or whoever it might be. I think that kind of like de-roots or derails the, the, the narcissistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I'm a failure. <laughs> In relationships, I've been a failure. It's interesting that you bring. What, it's interesting ahead. that you bring up. Um, have you tried any other forms of relationships? Because typically, that's what I would say. If something isn't going right, no matter what it is, whether it's relationships, uh, maybe you're trying something at work. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that Einstein quote? The definition of insanity is doing something over and over again, mm-hmm. expecting different results. Yeah. And here I am failing at relationships over and over again, but then getting back into relationships, expecting different results. So mm-hmm. I guess by that definition of insanity, like I'm insane when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm working on. Like I'm trying to, I guess, get to the root of the issues that I have. And it's been, it's been kind of eye-opening. Um, I haven't like really fully been single since going on Rachel season. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. like obviously I dated Rachel for the whatever the weeks that I was on the show. Mm-hmm. There was a three-week gap between that and going on Paradise where I was... Um, yeah. I guess single, but still like learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I went on Paradise, dated Christina, then dated Danielle, and then dated Christina, and then dated Danielle, and then broke up with Christina, and then dated Leslie. And then, so now it's like for the first time in a year and a half, however long it's been, I'm like actually single. And it's like, it's finally kind of nice to be able to like look back at it and be like, that was interesting, it was a wild ride, but now I can like fully focus on the things that I feel like I need to focus on to be a better person moving forward. Yeah, and just and like just being more brutally honest, moving like I've told girls like, hey, like look, listen, just so you know, like I have no place to be in a relationship right now, mm-hmm. and like I just want you to know that, like there's no reason for me to even like attempt to lead you on in any sort of way. Um, and it's just been an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, is that how leading on got brought up as a? I was just well, on Dean. Yeah, I was just on Dean's podcast, "Help I Suck at Dating," um, the other day, and part of what they were talking about was leading on versus mixed signals. Mm-hmm. That's not how it got brought up. Actually, Jared presented that idea. Okay. Because um, he was he was arguing with Ashley, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a. I'm happy for you that like you feel good about having this time to yourself and being able to like explore this other part of you and just like reflect on the wild ride that has been the last like year and a half mm-hmm. or so. Um, and I think, you know, I think people often are like, well, if you're not in a place to be in a relationship then you shouldn't be dating. And to me, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think there's a lot that we can learn through our interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're upfront about that, then I think that can lead to some really great like growth opportunities on both ends. So what, Upfront about entering into a relationship knowing that you have things that you both need to work on? Is that what you mean? Upfront about like dating someone and being like, hey, like I enjoy hanging out with you and I enjoy seeing you, but also like I'm not in a place to be in a relationship. Sure. I'm not hanging out with you in an attempt to work towards a relationship right, right now, towards, towards a committed relationship with I you. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about you're not going to be able to really fix the shortcomings you have in relationships unless you try to fix them in relationships, yeah. right? Yep, yep. <laughs> like That's like, where you like really actually put those things into practice. Right, that's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're working on that trial and error. Well, it's kind of like a catch-22 in a sense, too, where it's like I don't want to bring someone into my le- my messy life while I'm trying to figure it out. But then also by doing that, I'm not allowing myself to fully mm-hmm. identify and fix the issues that I have in those relationships. And all our lives are messy. <laughs> Some are more messy than others. Some are more messy than <laughs> others. But the magic is in, is in the mess. Yeah, the magic is in the mess. That's, that's, where, that's where you learn. All the the struggle leads to strength and you know new insights and all of that. And I think that's like a very difficult place to be, but it takes a lot of courage to be in that place, like to actually sit in that place. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, you're struggling with deflecting it and, and the avoidance of it, but you're also challenging yourself to take that time to sit with it. Mm-hmm. Which says a lot. Yeah. To me at least. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I can't speak for everyone. <laughs> it just, it's kind of a bummer too, because like I said earlier about, or I guess like we discussed earlier um, about how 
short-sighted I personally am, and I think even just as a as a society in general, mm-hmm. how we kind of expect results and we expect them immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, you you identify these issues and you're like, okay, well, like, how long can I be in this limbo phase of figuring myself out for before I like really need to have it figured out? Mm-hmm. Like, even after going on the show the first time, I was like, okay, cool, like, I'm gonna take a year off of work. I'm gonna like just have fun, focus on things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after a year, I'll have everything figured out and like get back to either <laughs> working as a recruiter or like uh, pursuing my passion. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but I, I know in a year I'll have it figured out. And then obviously 18 months after the fact, I still haven't necessarily gotten to that point yet. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you, you almost like set yourself up for disappointment. Um, How does that make you feel? The fact that I haven't figured it out yet? Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it really is. And it's, it's funny too because I always have this I make this argument every once in a while of like when when we're when we're kids and we're we're in middle school, um, and you know we have we're, we're like looking at the world through rose-colored sunglasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I was like, I'm gonna get married when I'm 23. I'm gonna have four kids by the time I'm 29, 30 years old. Uh, and all that does is like the day you turn 23, you're like, well, shit, definitely not any closer to getting married. Yeah. Turn 27, well, definitely don't have four kids yet. I guess <laughs> I'm a failure to my 12 year old self. Yeah. And a lot of it's I think put on pressure put on us by uh, society and like mm-hmm. all these things like, oh, like you need to get married to have mm-hmm. kids to be happy and like can be considered successful in your life. Um, and it just doesn't really end up working out the way that we ever really expected to. I'm sure obviously certain circumstances sometimes mm-hmm. do, but yeah. I think more often than not, it doesn't work out. Yeah. You have um, a lot of like uh, specific vivid memories of childhood, mm. like significant um uh, I can't think of the word, but like where it's um, the short stories, you know. Um, yeah. What's the word? <laughs> I can't remember. It begins with an A. <laughs> uh, I think. Um, but yeah, you have a lot of like these childhood memories that like very much relate and, and get triggered in your adult life. Hmm. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think that a lot of what you experienced in childhood was very um, impactful. You know, it sounds like from 10, I'm sure maybe a little bit before 10 to, you know, 18 and even early at young adulthood Mm. um, was a lot all in a short period of time to experience. So it's kind of like by the time you start actually processing one event, another event has already happened. Mm -hmm. And then it's like just kind of a snowball effect of just kind of being in this place of like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Well, there's definitely lots of highs and lows. And it was a short window, I guess the 11 years, because I would say... That's a pivotal time. Right. And like the growth of who we are. Lots of loss. I got arrested a lot. Uh, For like what? Just dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did I get arrested for? I got arrested for stealing groceries once when I was 16. That was pretty bad. Hmm. I got arrested a lot of like underage possession of alcohols. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to prison once when I was 23. That was pretty brutal. Uh, Why were you in prison, Dean? Uh, it was one of those things where I had gotten a couple like minor possession of alcohols when I was mm-hmm. 20. Just because I like obviously wasn't old enough to be drinking, and yeah. I was in college, and I like didn't uh, follow through with like my court mm-hmm. order, like I didn't show up to court or whatever. And so there, I was like driving my Jeep one day in Aspen, and I flipped it over by mistake and like totaled it. And the, is this a, no? You told uh, that, different. Okay. This is my, I've I've had a, quite a few Jeeps in my life. Um, and the cops came, and they like obviously they, they come to every accident site or whatever, and they ran my information. And like, hey, uh, sorry about your Jeep, but by the way, I'm sure you know you have uh, two warrants out for your arrest. Like we have to take you into the station. Uh, Going to the station, like paid my my brother actually helped to pay my. No, no, what what did happen? I like had to call like twenty of my friends. I was like, hey, I need three thousand dollars tonight because I need to get out of jail. Mm-hmm. And like I somehow was able to put it together. Um, and then I had to go to uh, court in my college town to to meet with the judge. And he was like, look, like clearly you're not going to do your community service. You're not going to pay your fines. So what I'm going to do is order you to be in El Paso County Prison for three days. Um, because like that's the only thing that's really going to be suitable You're for you. Like, teach you a lesson. Teach you a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and it's funny enough. I don't know. I don't know if I should really share this or not. But this is kind of how messed up our, uh, our I guess our, our system is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I showed up. I like a week later. They're like a report here at this time, 5 p.m. Whatever. I showed up. Uh, sat in the holding cell for like 12 hours. They put me in my cot, like very much so, like you see on the TV. Of like, a, there's like a little jail yard, and then there's like the little private rooms with the bunk bed cots. Mm-hmm. We'll get in my cot. Fall asleep for like two hours. Two hours later, uh, a guard comes in, and, like shakes me, and he's like, "Hey, kid, uh, just so you know, like the the prison's getting real full, and we need this like bunk bed for the real criminals. You need to get the hell out of here." Yep. So I was literally in prison for like twelve hours. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Get the hell out of here. We need this for other people." So definitely learned my lesson. Yep, <laughs> got a lot of people going in there. Yeah, and what's funny is too, when I got announced on Rachel's season, people were like, a lot of things got published. Like, oh my God, he's had all these run-ins with the law. I was like, I was 20 years old. Give mm-hmm. me a break. You know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, th- that's a, a, a lot of experiences within that 11, 13 year span. Yeah. That like, it, it a lot of loss. Yeah. And that, that takes like a lot of time process and I I hope that you don't put the pressure on yourself or like don't or at least have have empathy with with yourself if you can try and work on that mm. um, to like give yourself the the space and like the, the grace to be like it's okay that you don't have it all figured out and it's like okay that like and this is basically what your therapist is saying but that like to not be so hard on yourself. Like even like as you say some of your stories, you're like, I'm a mess. Well, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm terrible at this. I'm so bad at this. I'm, I I'm suck at relationships. I'm a failure. All these things that like you say, like to in a way take ownership, but in a way to be funny, in a way to deflect. But like also like shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like because... <laughs> It's not that like you suck at relationships. It's that like you've had a lot of fucking life happen right, but and here's it's hard my, to deal with. My argument to that is how long can I use that as an excuse as to why I haven't had a successful relationship? I don't think that the length of time matters. I think that if I you're actually I don't I can't be working, 43 years old. Like what if I'm married at 43 years old and I get in a fight with my wife? I'm like you don't understand because my mom died when I was 15. Blah, blah. Like that's just a, that's an argument that I shouldn't be using anymore, in my opinion. I'm unaffected presently. Like, I'm, of course, it affected me greatly, but like, has no bearing on my life currently, day to day. You know what I mean? It does. Psychologically, maybe like embedded in my the core of who I am, but it doesn't like, it doesn't it doesn't excuse anything that I do nowadays. You know what I mean? Yes, it's not yeah. something to be used as like an excuse or to um, deflect from something, but it definitely is a point for someone to understand the impact that it's had. Hmm. All, all the things, all the things in your story when you're in a relationship with someone, I would hope would understand the triggers for those things and to understand to have empathy with you to work through those things as opposed to like, saying, well, well, you should be over this by an hour. Like, well, that was years ago. Like, get the fuck over it, Dean. Like, that's not... I, I don't think that that Whatever is appropriate to put that pressure on yourself to have all those things figured out. Like, you may be 43, and you may get in an argument with your wife, and you may say, well, you know what? Like, my mom died. And I would hope that then at that point that your wife would step outside of herself for a second and realize that what you guys were arguing about at that point is no longer what you guys were actually arguing about at that point. Because I don't think that's now fair. something's I don't, triggered. That's not fair to her, though. That's like, I think by doing that is I'm removing the pressure from myself and then putting it onto the person I'm talking to. Like, because of this, and, and like it almost like makes them feel bad. Like, oh my God, like I shouldn't have said that because of this kind of thing, you know? I disagree. <laughs> okay. Because partially, I think if that person really loves you and they really um, understand your experiences, uh-huh. that... It's not going to be, oh, God, well, now I have to set this aside. But it's going to be, like, wanting to care for you and understand. Granted, if you're throwing it out there as an excuse, if you're throwing it out there to deflect something and the intention is clear that it's, like, you're just not in this right now, like, that you're just trying to make it something else, then that's one thing. But if you're, like, genuinely triggered by something and it's coming up in a natural way, then 
I don't think that that pressure should be put on you that like, oh, we should be over this or like that isn't relatable. Like it's, it's relatable if it's actually triggered and if it's a part of your experience in that moment. I'm trying to think what my triggers could be. Do you know what your triggers are? I do. One oh, of them was on the show. Paradise, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah. Like I will not tolerate someone speaking to me in like derogatory language in a relationship. Like I've been in abusive relationships and even relationships that I entered thinking would be non-abusive ended up being verbally abusive. And so my boundary, like entering into a relationship is like, you will not, you know, I have a potty mouth and I'll swear, whatever, but I won't ever be like, go fuck yourself or like, fuck you or like, shut the fuck up. I won't say those things to my partner because that's speaking to them in a way that's very disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the trigger. When someone says that to me and when it came up on Paradise, there's a whole lot of other things involved in that, but like that's a trigger. Like I no longer hear anything else that you're saying in the rest of that conversation because my head now is stuck in that place. Mm-hmm. Turns into Charlie Brown and you're just listening to adults talk. Yeah. Yeah. So Is it do you think it's important to identify your triggers? Absolutely. And then once you get a partner to share those triggers with them? Absolutely. That's a huge part of communication. But see, I almost kind of pride myself in not having triggers. Dean, you're fucking human. <laughs> you, are, you are human. I'm unbothered. Like, so much of what you are like saying is you trying to be like, I'm going to fix everything on my own. I don't need help from anyone. I'm not going to burden anyone else. I'm just going to be like happy-go-lucky, positive influence on everyone. Like I'm going to try to be as least difficult as possible, which means I'm going to not feel these difficult things, which means these really difficult parts of my life I'm not going to put onto other people. But like you, you that that's your story. That's your truth. Like that, that it, it's you can't change it. Right, but I think I don't know. I just think that I should be able to figure it out on my own. <laughs> Who says that? I do. Who, who told you that? I told myself that. I don't want to have to... Where did that start? And also, I think it's better that way because... <laughs> you're going to have a field day with this one. No, wh- because where... The, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's better that way because then if and when it doesn't happen and you're, not, and you're unable to change it, you can then be like, okay, that's my responsibility for not being able to fix that, no one else's responsibility. And so you're like, okay, I'm not blaming anyone else except for myself for not being able to fix that. And so by putting those issues onto someone else and be like, hey, like, I need help with this, which is perfectly fine to do. Like Anyone could ask anyone for help. I'm an advocate for that. Just not for yourself. Just not for myself. And if I'm like, okay, I'm going to give these to you. If you don't fix them, then you're a failure. But no, it's just going to be like, I'm going to work on these myself. I hope I can fix them. If I can't, then that's on me. You know what I mean? Yes. What I, part of what I hear in that, mm. and maybe don't respond right away, but <laughs> okay. let, let, it, let it sit for a second. I'll step back from the mic. <laughs> because sometimes people's first reaction is to be defensive to this. Okay. Um, what I hear from that is that you don't feel that you deserve the nurturing, the care, the help from other people. I just don't think I need it. I think with or without it, I'll still be the same person. Tell me about a time that you have been offered help and accepted it and you felt good about it. Mm, Emotional help or like car broke down? Emotional. I honestly don't think I've ever... (sighs) When was the last time I was offered emotional help? I don't think ever. <laughs> I'm sure there are times that they're just slipping mm-hmm. my mind. I think that sometimes people th- people will offer emotional help when I don't need it. And that's actually, a, there's one recent thing that comes to memory, which I don't feel comfortable sharing because it's with my most recent ex-girlfriend. Okay. Um, so I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. But there was a time every every late October with the anniversary of my mom's passing, I just get very emotional it's a trigger. Sure, uh, sure, that's a trigger. Late October, don't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was dating someone that you're friends with. And actually, you were hanging out with her during this time in Nashville. And I reached out and I said, hey, I'm super emotional. I was crying on the airplane like back to LA. And I just didn't necessarily get the support that I needed. And so I was like, okay, fuck that. I'm just not going to um, ask for or, I guess, confide in this person mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and that's just like, it's, it's been kind of consistent, I think, my entire life is because people struggle to 
empathize with the things that I'm going through, maybe because of me and I'm like unable to communicate it clearly that I need someone to help empathize with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like maybe I just didn't communicate that clearly back in October. But it's like when even like I I reach out a little bit and I get nothing back, then I'm just like, okay, F that Mm -hmm. on my own, not worried about it anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Because that really hurts when you do put yourself out there and then you're met with what feels like rejection. Sure. Right. Or rejection in any sense of the word. Right. Like uh, just... Someone ignoring. Ignoring. Or... Yeah. Not, not putting as much weight into it as you had hoped they would have. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate and disappointing risk that we take with sharing our story and with reaching out for help mm-hmm. with people and that's that's part of what then tells us it so so I'll, I'll ask you this when that happened and you were met with not the support that mm-hmm. you were looking for what was your inner talk what did that tell you like what what did you then say about yourself when that interaction happened i mean well it's always i think to the points that we were talking about earlier, it's always logic that prevails. And I was like, okay, you're just going to wake up tomorrow. Things are going to be fine. You'll move on. You'll put it past you. Like, just allow it, you know, you'll get yourself through this. Mm-hmm. And then things will be fine in X amount of time, however long it might be, a week, a day, an hour. Um, and I think that's how I've kind of gotten through everything. It's like, okay, well, this is temporary. And it's going to pass. And it, no matter what it is, like, even, I remember I, like, I've, I tore my, a ligament in my ankle playing basketball when I was in like a freshman in high school or something like that. And I like just laid there and people were like, well, like, why are you not screaming? I'm like, well, it sucks. It hurts. But there's nothing like screaming is not going to make it feel any better. It's going to be better in three weeks. So I might as well just deal with it and like just, you know, not have well, to Well, and also it. putting the attention on yourself then often, like if you did put it out there, maybe not with screaming, but with bringing attention to the fact that you were in pain would then mean that the logical next step would be that people would offer help to that and not wanting to bring that attention onto yourself. Well, this is in the middle of a basketball game, so there was help that was being brought anyways. But it's just, it's, I, think, I think... But the emotional piece of it, like if, you know, your, your idea of it is like, well, I'm not going to sit here like screaming and, you know, all of that because like typically that's what if someone was doing, then they would be getting a lot of that right. attention. Well, and I feel like it's like the more weakness that you show, the... The, I guess the more people are willing to like reach out and help you, but the more you're selling, setting yourself up for disappointment because they won't necessarily be able to help you the way that you feel like you need to be helped. You feel like when you're reaching out for help, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because no one's going to reach it anyway. Sure, except for me. Like I can reach it myself. I can get there myself because I know exactly what I want. Maybe I need to get better at communicating it. Um, but I also sometimes don't feel the need to communicate it and if someone cared enough then they wouldn't need me to communicate every final minute detail and they should just be there you know mm-hmm. somewhat I think it's interesting um, it, all this makes me think uh, part of the conversation that I had with Kendall and I don't remember if this was on recording or not but of why empathy is so important. And uh, actually this conversation was, was with Sienna as well. Um, but in terms of like forgiveness and empathy of always understanding that when someone hurts you to also have empathy and forgiveness for them, because we never know what other people's problems are. Of course. And that often when we are hurt by someone else, it's because they also have unresolved hurt or are triggered in some way and that, you know, forgiveness for them maybe not knowing how to reach you and then trying to, like, work through, through like, to communicate, mm-hmm. like, what it was that you actually did need support in. Like, I know that was something Derek and I struggled with a lot was, like, I didn't feel supported. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, we both, we always would say the same things about each other. But, like you know, he would try to support me in one way, but like I didn't receive that as support. So to me, it was like, no, you weren't there for me at all, at all. Mm -hmm. And then to him, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I did this, like, this was me being there for you. And to me, I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. So it's like actually communicating, you know, ways that you do receive support. And like, you know, again, I feel like you guys were pretty good at that, at least early on in the relationship. I remember seeing you had like a love language board or something like that. 
Yes, <laughs> discussing love languages, absolutely. And I guess obviously there's more to it than just the love languages, but you guys were like mm-hmm. trying to be like, this is how I receive love from mm-hmm. my significant other. So, and just because like you receive it differently than the other person can be like, okay, this is how I'm going to give it to you mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. I guess that only pertains to certain aspects of the relationship. And obviously if you need like emotional support, that maybe it's a little bit more challenging and difficult to communicate that. But yeah. And also just when different life things come up, you know, like in the real world, like when death happens, like I have very different expectations of things when there's a death in my life, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, um, it, it it's always changing and you're always learning about each other. So that's why I think it's so important to be consistently communicating about what your needs are. Like when you identify that this yearly anniversary is a trigger for you, where Mm -hmm. you're going to be a little bit more emotional, you're going to be triggered by some of these things with your mom that like whoever your partner is, even even non-partner related, even just your friends and other people in your life, to have that understanding to be able to say like, these are some of my needs during this time. But the thing is, those needs can be fulfilled by myself. So I have no, I have no interest in communicating so what them are, to anyone. So what, what are those needs that you fulfill by yourself? I just <laughs> I dwell on it for a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, process it. Allow myself to cry sometimes. It's rare, but I'll cry maybe a couple times a year. That's good. Um, so perhaps part of that communication... But it's, but it's like the thing is with me is I'm going to get through it regardless of whether I ask someone for help or not. I'm going to be fine in a short amount of time whether or fine. not they're involved. And that's fine. But the reaching out to communicate that isn't necessarily to make sure that you're going to be okay. You will still be fine regardless. You'll always be fine. Eventually right. you'll always be okay. Uh-huh. But where we reach like a deeper point of feeling connected to one another is in those vulnerable <laughs> I almost feel like it disconnects me more because then it doesn't live up to the, the, the what I need from them. Like, not even need from them, but it, the, what I expect someone to do in a situation where I'm in need and then they don't necessarily align with what I might have hoped for them to do. And then that just mm-hmm. makes me think like, oh, then this actually is not mm-hmm. as much of my person as I thought that they were. Yeah. I, I hear you on that. It's like it, it just adds to the, the dynamic of uh, the shortcomings of the relationship. Mm -hmm. I I totally hear you on that. What would your expectations have been that point in October when you sent that text? What were you hoping to receive? What what would have been your expectation? Um, It would have been nice to get a phone call. Um, A a text conversation would have been all right too. It would have been like Mm -hmm. to have that person there with me physically would have been the best situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's too far-fetched of a thing either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just, I mean, a sounding board. Like, because it's, it's very rare for me to open up to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm like, hey, I'm struggling. I was crying on this flight mm-hmm. to Detroit. Um, I'm really, really sad. And then it's just like, oh, like, I'm sorry, are you okay? Well, I'm really upset that, like, you know, this is, like, the anniversary of my mom passing away, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like... it. I don't know, I didn't necessarily get the response that I would have hoped for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there wasn't, it wasn't quite as, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't quite as, like we didn't dive as deep into the issues that I was experiencing as I maybe would have hoped. Like mm-hmm. at, at least as deep as I was diving into them in my own head. Yeah, that you wanted someone to meet you emotionally mm-hmm. in the space that you were in, which is very rare because again, I'm a very, I'm not mm-hmm. not a very emotional person, and so when I get that way, I guess maybe people are like just conditioned to be like, oh well, since he's not emotional, I don't have to give him much emotion in return. But Do then you see like, also where you create that. Oh, 100 percent. Same time. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so it's again, it's unfair of me to then be like, oh, in the one time a year that I needed you to meet me emotionally, you weren't able to do that. That's I don't fucked think up that on it's me. Unfair but I think it's important then to understand where that person may not get that this is a time that you really want them to show up for you. Right. So to have, I think, a little bit of like leniency, like as opposed to just completely shutting off and being like, okay, well, I'm not opening it up again because this was their opportunity and they didn't meet And they there. blew it. <laughs> so maybe have a little bit of... Um, you know, leniency and space to communicate. Nope, no leniency. Nope. 
You're one shot. Yeah. If you blow it, <laughs> maybe give you another one. But if you blow that one, oof. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, there are definitely things in my life where I'm similar and I have like deal breakers in that way that like if I open up about this and this is my expectation and I reality check myself, don't get me wrong, realistic things. But there are some things like I won't be able to um, forget and then I won't be able to feel safe opening up about moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear you on that and I, I get where... Um, that trigger specifically has a lot of emotion and a lot of sensitivity around it. And but it doesn't normally. And it, it's a, a shortcoming that I have as well. It's like I can brush over the death of my mom in 30 seconds and then you'll understand that my mom died when I was 15. But I don't often get emotional about it, you know? I'm, I'm very disconnected from it, which is not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it sounds like, but again, they're, they're, people feel uncomfortable asking questions about that because it's death and it makes us feel uncomfortable and we don't want to be prying and we don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So then we're not asking the questions and then you don't want to make the other person feel uncomfortable. So then you're deflecting so that then they don't have to ask the questions. And then we're all just avoiding all the conversations. And then we're just sitting there in silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate. I hope, I hope that this October that you're able to reach out to someone. I mean, I'll definitely be single in October, so I'm just going to have to deal with it by myself, I guess. <laughs> no, you, you have friends. Oh, well, yeah, of You course. have other people. It doesn't have to be a romantic, you know, romantic relationship. I hope you find one person to reach out to. In an emotional state? I'm not, there's a 0% chance that happens. Hey, by the way, what's the, what year is it going to be this year? This is the 11 year anniversary of my mom dying. Is it 11 year? Yeah, 11 year. Be there for me. I just would never do that. That's just not who I am. I would, I, it would be nice if someone like reached out and be like, hey, it's a tough day for you, man. 11 years ago. I just want you to know, like, I'm here for you. I love you, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to have to be like, hey, look, I need this right now. I would, it just would, it just, but now you're expecting someone to know something that they don't know unless you tell them. I've told people about it. It's just if they choose to remember it or not. It's a hard expectation to put on people, though, when everyone sure, has Sure, but if, their they, own... if they choose not to remember it, then maybe it just wasn't important enough for them to then be like, okay, that's something that's worth remembering. I'm going to reality check you on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that this might be somewhat... Certainly for the people that are very close to you, uh, I would agree they should know. But I think some of the people that you're developing relationships with or don't have super deep relationships with, that it, I would encourage to have a reminder to them, you know, giving them at least But a, it's, like, it's like seeking pity by doing that. No, I think there's Feel a way... Feel bad for me. No, it's not. It's not a feel bad for me. It's a hey, I might need some time because this is a this is a heavy week for me, or hey, like this is you know a heavy day for it's just, me. It's so out of context, and in my it just seems so unnecessary. Like oh, hey, I'm gonna stay in my room all day tomorrow because my mom died 11 years ago on that date. Today I need a day. But without with saying, the context, there's just no point in this saying is the that. anniversary <laughs> of my mom's death, and I need a day to myself. But when it just is out of the blue, it's almost like, why the fuck did you just tell me that? You know? You mean like you're not already in communication with someone and you just send them this text randomly? Yeah. Or like I'm, I'm like trying to like apply to my roommates. Like, hey, guys, don't bother me today because, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just... You don't like the fact that you even have to address it. Yeah. As a thing, because then it I'll makes the people feel my, uncomfortable. I'll just like wallow in the corner by myself and get over it. And October mm-hmm. 25th comes around, I'll be all right. All of you listeners out here, <laughs> October 25th. Fourth. 24th. Write it on your calendar. <laughs> if you don't remember when it comes around. Oh, my gosh. The, the, <laughs> sending some love, October 24th, 11 years. Going to encourage you to feel the feels. I'll feel the feels. Yeah, feel the feels. But I won't express the feels to anyone. I'm going to 
encourage that at least to one person you 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 open yourself up to share the space with whether they approach you or you approach them or just naturally the opportunity is there i just i hope and i encourage that you, that you lean into it in some way i'll lean into it we're 60 days away so i can i can have a lot of personal growth in those 60 days you absolutely can we'll see what happens you absolutely can and I'm happy. I mean, first of all, I could like continue this conversation all day long. Um, but I'm glad that you are like taking the steps like towards self-care and towards personal development and like challenging yourself, like going back to therapy and, you know, having the support of your friends and just doing this like introspective work. It's good. And I'm proud of you for it. Thanks, Tay. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Genuinely. Is there anything else you want to talk about? All the things. <laughs> so many things. But we have to wrap up for the pod today. Um, is there anything else that like you want listeners to know? No, I feel like I've been rambling on for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> about nonsensical BS that everyone's going to be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? No, your life is not nonsensical BS. Well, it's just, I think on a daily basis, I'm such a contrarian too. So I like, I have a lot of conflicting viewpoints on things. Mm-hmm. And so I'll like start talking and the end of my statement completely like mirrors or I'm sorry, like is inverse of the beginning mm-hmm. of the statement. That's again, could be a whole other episode. I talked, I've talked about that so much frequently where, or lately where like holding of opposites, mm. like I hold a lot of opposites in my life and it sounds like you do too. And it's something we should talk about. I'm just a contrarian and it's, it's kind of a pain for my friends and my mm-hmm. relationships. I, I can understand that. I'll step away from the mic now. <laughs> um, where can people find you? Uh, the podcast, Dean's podcast is Help I Suck at Dating. Check out the last episode. Well, I guess I don't know when this one's getting up, but... Taylor, yeah, I don't know. Taylor was on... Uh, I was on it and opened up a little bit more about um, the breakup with Derek. So if you guys want to hear some of that, it's on Dean's podcast. And um, Help I Suck at Dating. Follow me on all my social channels, Deanie underscore babies. We have some big things in the works that I'm excited mm-hmm. to share with everyone. And actually, yeah. I want to talk to you, Taylor, about mm-hmm. um, something that I want to, uh, to hopefully involve you in. But yeah, that's yeah. it. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, thank you for being vulnerable, even though it's uncomfortable. Um, Thank you guys for listening. And um, please leave a review on iTunes. And feel free to send questions or topic suggestions to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I will be back to talk more with you next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.